Welcome to the Content and Media Matters podcast, a series of interviews with key leaders throughout the industry, all brought to you by the Content and Media team at Nuco, a specialist global recruitment and executive search firm. Welcome to the Content and Media Matters podcast. Your hosts today are me, Henry Johnson, consultant, and Tim Meredith, business manager. And we're delighted today to be joined by Lionel Brunier, EVP of product at Vidium. Having begun his career as a software engineer, Lionel has since worked across varying technical and product leadership roles. Having worked as the CTO of Anivia, a director of product management for AWS Elemental, Lionel is now leading the overall product and engineering strategy for Vidion. Welcome to the show, Lionel. Thanks, Harry. Thanks for having me. <laughs> to get us started, we always like to ask people the same thing. How did you first get into the content and media industry? Oh, Wow. Um, so I got into the uh, content and media industry, uh, well, it was actually over 20 years ago. I'm, I'm that old now, uh, but I started to, uh, work, um, so I started to work in the nineties in the, uh, um, cellular, uh, networks, uh, and things like that. And in 1999, I, uh, I was working for a company called uh, Nortel Communications, Matra Nortel in, in France. And um, I told them I would move to a startup. So that was just before the uh, dot-com uh, bubble uh, started. And I told them I will do voice over IP. I think IP is uh, the future and everyone will be communicating over IP in the future. And they were looking at me with big eyes and they were completely uh, flabbergasted that uh, I, I was thinking that IP had a future because they said it's not reliable. Nobody will ever build something professional over IP. So I started to do uh, voice over IP uh, in the late 90s, in 2000, and I moved from voice over IP to video over IP uh, with first video communications over IP and then content delivery uh, over IP. Uh, match networks and then OTT. So that's how everything started because I thought that IP was the future of communication. <laughs> oh, excellent. Some could say you were ahead of the time there, Lionel, <laughs> as well. Yeah, <laughs> it was a big and, bet, but it seemed to work out. <laughs> brilliant. Tim, handing over to you now to ask all the questions about the past. Yes. Yeah, so, sort of looking back over your career, and I'm sure there's going to be quite a few examples of this, but what or who would you say has been the, the biggest influence on in your career and how it's formed? Um, the biggest influencer was uh, definitely Sam Blackman, who was the uh, CEO and co-founder of Elemental Technologies. Mm. So he's the reason why I moved to uh, the United States. I moved to Portland because I wanted to work with that person. Um, he's, he, so, you know, unfortunately he passed away, uh, a few years ago now, he mm. was the 41, uh, after leading Elemental and selling Elemental to, uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services, mm. but he was an incredible leader. Uh, he was an incredible technologist and he was an incredible human being. And, uh, even to that day, he was the most influential person I've ever met besides my wife, obviously. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and again, you know, especially with somebody who, who unfortunately didn't, you know, didn't live to that great an age, sort of 
I suppose, looking back, kind of how lucky you feel that you had a chance to work with him whilst he whilst he was with Elemental and whilst he was with us. So yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a very nice answer. And and looking sort of to and it needs to be professional or personal. What what kind of single achievement would you say you're you're most proud of? So when I was with Elemental, uh, we launched uh, a new product. So I was hired to basically launch that product, which was uh, an origin packager, and that was uh, really transforming Elemental of not just being an encoder vendor, but getting a larger uh, share of the overall um, video delivery infrastructure. So we launched that product called Elemental Delta uh, in 2014, and uh, it was a really um astonishing success and um i think that was the 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 thing i'm the most proud of because uh we had a, a small team i was heading a small team of engineers to start that project from scratch in about 18 months we went from inception to deploying uh that product uh within the largest uh brands and operators in the industry uh, and I was really, that's when I had to work very closely with uh, Sam Blackman. Uh, and I learned a lot on how to launch a product. Um, you know, there is a, there's something that uh, we used to do at Elemental. And that was also something in the core values of Amazon when we got acquired by Amazon. When you launch a new product, most companies, they try to launch um, MVP, minimum viable product. Hmm. Um, what we tried to launch was an MLP, minimum lovable product. And that's yeah. really my mantra. I want to launch products that are loved by our customers that have a huge impact on how the end users are actually uh, consuming content. Uh, and that's been something I've always tried to do, you know, uh, have products that I'm, as a product guy, as a product manager, as a product leader, I want to make things that are really um, outstanding and that people love. It's, you know, yeah. that's why Apple is successful. People love to use their iPhones or iPads more than other smartphones or tablet vendors. Yeah. And I suppose that kind of approach and model kind of, it reduces the need for those, you know, early adopters who are going to accept, look, this kind of doesn't work in many ways, but I think yeah. it's worthwhile. So, and you, but it's exactly. come out That's of the gate with something that. Yeah. You want to turn your customers into advocates, into evangelists for your products yeah. and have to fairly to, to fall in love with the products. If you want them to turn uh, your customers into your best uh, allies, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, this might be uh, a bit tricky for you to pick, but what kind of technology or, or, or product have you have you most enjoyed working on over the years? Oh, um, again, you know, I try to choose the products I'm working on, and uh, I I love the products I'm I'm launching. So hmm. it's it's hard to pick one. Uh, the most successful one and the most impactful one. Uh, was for the Elemental Delta, but you know, at Videon, uh, the uh, Edgecaster, it's it's we're creating a new category of uh, devices that are actually edge processing devices, and we're really pioneering pioneering a new market segment, and that's also uh, very exciting. Any time 
again, you know, back in the 90s when I was working on that uh, voice over IP soft switches, it was something that was completely revolutionary at the time. And I tend to work on in companies where we have products that might be a little bit early in the market, uh, yeah. maybe maybe too soon, but at, at the same time that are radically different from uh, the, the rest of the industry. And that's always enjoyable. It's not always very successful uh, from a commercial perspective, or it takes longer mm -hmm. than expected. Uh, sometimes we have you know hard discussions with our investors to explain why it's taking longer than expected. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, again, it's a it's a question of uh, loving products you make and uh, being convinced that you're doing something that is good. Yeah, yeah, it was like choosing a long-term relationship. You have to really choose to struggle through the tough times with somebody you really like. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, great to hear some of the kind of key aspects of your past. Um, so, yeah, now let's look at the present day and, and to the future. Henry. Thanks, Tim. And some could say it's often difficult to predict the future. And I mean, we definitely don't like to, but, but I have got some questions for you. Um, before doing so, thinking more on the present. So, the industry is currently changing so quickly. There's a lot of movement at the moment and it is sometimes hard to keep up. So we'd be keen to understand what is your current take on the content and media industry? Yeah, as you as you just said, it's changing a lot uh, quite uh, right now. It's, it's very interesting uh, because there are several trends I can see uh that are really changing uh, the way people are consuming content but also the, the type of content they're consuming i have a, a a test pool at home i have three teenagers so i can see how they consume content and it's very different uh from the way i was consuming content when i was a teenager but even you know five ten years ago it's uh it's uh, there's a, a sea change in the way content is consumed, and what used to be niche content is not that niche anymore. And the the trend I see today is, uh, we for example, we just say that TikTok is niche content, or is YouTube uh, user generated user generated content niche content? I don't think so. My kids they they watch a lot of. Uh, YouTubers, they, they watch TikTok all the time. They're addicted to TikTok. Um, the, uh, the way of uh, consuming content is more snacking now. Uh, my kids, they never watch a two and a half hour feature film movie. It's, uh, they watch series or they watch short form content because that's, that's what they like. Um, I also think, so I think that there's a big trend of, having access to more content that will be more personalized to uh, people. Uh, and the same way, if you look at Netflix, for example, um, they democratized a lot of content by moving from, um, you know, five years ago, yes, five, six years ago, maybe, uh, Netflix was still not creating their own content and they were relaying on uh, backfilling uh, content from other producers that were mostly American content that have been uh, broadcasted on TV many years ago. 
and just providing an easy way to access content that people were familiar with and wanted to watch again. And then they moved to uh, creating their own content and partnering with content from different countries. Um, La Casa de Papel in Spain, uh, Lupin in France, uh, Squid Games in Korea. Uh, and those became hits for Netflix. And there is people, American people, or people from any country who can discover content produced in Spain or in Korea or in France and be really addicted to this kind of content and get to know and love this uh, new type of content. Uh, my kids, for example, they 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 love Korean uh, key drama, and we're oh, wow. we're absolutely not Korean related. It's just they discovered that through Netflix, and it's now probably the genre of content they watch uh, the most for uh, the most for series, uh, not 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 TikTok or things like that. So I can if I can make a prediction for the future. I think there will be the same trend for uh, live content for sports, for example, the uh, the rights for the major leagues of uh, sports, uh, football, soccer, uh, basketball. They are just getting insane, and I can predict that there will be uh, more and more second tier content aggregators and uh, streaming platform that will provide a second tier of sports, I don't know, cycling, volleyball, uh, the the cost to get access to the, the rights for this content will be lower, but there will be fans the same way you have a lot of fans of college sports in the US compared to the, uh, the main uh, national leagues. Yeah. yeah, I know every every Olympics, all of Britain for some reason suddenly becomes obsessed with curling. For like four weeks, we all, everybody loves curling, and then it goes away. So maybe through something like this, maybe curling can curling can uh, actually have an audience between Olympics. Maybe so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Olympics. It's a, it's a very good it's a very good example. I mean, if you if you could get access to curling all year long, would we? Today you we have to move it. to Canada if you want to watch <laughs> curling on TV. Uh, if you're in the UK, yeah, you have to wait for the Olympics, or you have to wait for um, a string service to provide you your weekly fix of uh, curling. Of curling. <laughs> we could definitely circle back on curling, but I don't know if it's for me, guys. <laughs> Saying that, <laughs> and I mean, open your mind to curling, Henry. Let it in. <laughs> on the topic of the future, it seems that the metaverse keeps coming up. Um, we spoke with a recent podcast guest where they had interviewed in the metaverse, for example. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on how you think this is going to change or how it's going to present us itself within the industry. Yeah, that's uh, so it's a very interesting topic because it goes back to how you want to consume content. And to me, the metaverse is uh, an additional way of consuming content, but you have to produce content. And the uh, the line, the frontier between video content, gaming, uh, green screen, uh, CGI is getting blurrier and blurrier. It's it it's really hard to tell to to predict how the content will evolve, but as far as I am concerned, I think that gamification of content and um, 
betting will become more and more important. And that's part of the uh, metaverse. You know, the fact that you want to provide ways of um, making the content more interesting, more personalized uh, to the end users, you have tools with the metaverse to, to, to make that uh, even more immersive than being on TV. The same way today, if you consume content, it's not necessarily on TV and you have more ways of interacting uh, with uh, polls or betting or just chatting uh, with your friends, social TV, watch parties. Those are things that were enabled by the fact that you could watch content on your tablet, on your smartphone, not only on your TV. And the way to interact was not only a, a remote anymore. You had a full uh, keyboard or touchscreen to uh, interact with it. So to me, the metaverse is the next evolution of that, providing new ways of interacting uh, with content and making it making it more immersive and more interactive. I know I completely agree and I'm excited to think where it's going to be in, in the next couple of years and it's something which I can certainly digress and talk about but uh, sticking to <laughs> sticking to the theme here um, that was really interesting to hear all of your thoughts on both the present and the future and I'm now going to hand back over to Tim for our topic that matters. Yes so we uh, for this show uh, chose uh a topic specific for you, which is which is leadership, because across your career you've you've held a lot of leadership positions, leading very large scale teams, you know, international products and engineering teams, and the like. So, what do you think it takes to become a successful leader of a team, and you know, more more strategically? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I'm still I, I still feel. That- I still feel I'm learning uh, to be a better manager every day, uh, being a, be- a better leader every day, uh, because it's not something that uh, it's not something that you can learn at school. Uh, it's you always have to adapt to uh, the people you're working with, and the way I see it is when we talk about leadership, um, I think we tend to see more and more leaders as mentors. My job is not necessarily to lead the team. I am providing a guidance for the team. And I, my job is really to eliminate all the blockers uh, from anyone on my team so that they can be as efficient as possible and they don't get distracted or uh, uh, sideblinded by things that don't really matter uh, for their uh, core tasks and being successful in their jobs. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's something that is really important um, for leaders to understand that they they need to have convictions. They need to know what's the uh, the road, what's the path forward, where where the, the puck is going, if we want to take another sports analogy, uh, and make sure that you you have the whole team laser focused in that direction, and uh, yeah, eliminate all the the, the problems uh, they can they can see in the way. Um, yeah, I also think it's really important to have a diverse team. It you're a better leader if you have diverse opinions, diverse. 
uh, ways of thinking on your team uh, because it's always good to be challenged with people who have a different experience, a different background, a different culture, uh, because it opens up new possibilities, new opportunities that you would not necessarily uh, see if you were just thinking by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll actually we're going to dive into the topic of diversity in our, in our next session in in a little bit in a little bit more detail as as well. And, and something I'm always interested in because you know a lot of people have had you know a little bit of leadership experience, maybe of like you know one person, two per people, you know, managing a, a small group, and that's and that's one thing. But when you get into you know larger groups, you know, you know five, ten people, sometimes internationally, you're not all in the same space. What are the, some of the, the challenges which come from from that expansion, and, and how do you deal with those? Yeah, I so I haven't led very large teams, you know, not hundreds or thousands of people, no. uh, only only you know uh, 20, 50, uh, 60 people maximum. So it's 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 still manageable. I like it when you 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 don't necessarily need to have multiple layers of management. Mm and communication because i think again it's every voice matters and you need to listen to everybody on the team uh before making a decision it's always very tricky when you when you grow a team um because you will have to get external people uh that will be hired to grow the team and again it's a question of balance on how much external people will not taint too much the core mm. value of the team and the culture and uh, you know everything that made the team good to get to that level. How can you get to the next level with people who have more experience or different experience without completely killing off the culture that yeah. was built uh, up to up to now? It's always been very difficult or challenging, especially when you are. Uh, getting acquired, or if you're merging yeah. uh, with, yeah. uh, with a company, because that's something where you have two different groups of people. You have to merge them, and you have, again, it's a, uh, it's, it's never black or white, and mm. it's always very nuanced and um, tricky to to manage. And I've, yeah. yeah, I've had to deal with that uh, a couple of times uh, in my career, and it's always being, it's always been very. Um, rewarding and interesting to see how how to to match that and have a melting pot of the uh the best uh talent between different yeah. teams organizations yeah absolutely it's very interesting and i know you say there you know you, you've not led teams of you know thousands say but i i kind of do think it is it is a bit of a it's a ladder where the 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 rungs are wider apart at the bottom i think going from five to ten is much more different than going from 50 to 60 so i think it is as you get into that you know 10 20 people that's where those those things you've talked about really come to place so that, that's that's really interesting uh, and, and final question on, on on this section obviously you know there's expectations of people within a role and, and that's one thing but how do you motivate people to kind of you know go the extra mile and, and how do you do that in i think more importantly a sustainable way yeah so again i think when you're working on something that is completely new and unique on the market it's extremely motivating and rewarding for the team because you're mm -hmm. making history you're changing things you're 
uh, providing ways of solving problems out of the box with creative ways that nobody has explored before. And uh, I'm an engineer at heart. My I was, you know, I I started as a C uh, developer, uh, very low level. I'm a, I'm a geek. Uh, <laughs> I, I still am very much of a geek, and I'm very motivated by the technology. And because I'm leading technical teams, I tend to think that people on my teams are also motivated by the technology and doing something new, innovative that nobody else uh, is doing is something that is clearly um, motivating people. It's not only about the, um, I mean, it, there are several aspects. You can obviously have um, cultural problems or uh, salary problems or things that you have to manage on a team, uh, sometimes at an individual level, sometimes at the team level, because uh, you know, especially when you have teams of engineers. Uh, in the past few years, uh, the salaries uh, have always been very difficult to manage because big companies were uh, providing very competitive uh, offers to uh, yeah. some of your engineers. Um, but I tend to think that if you work on a smaller team on something that is unique and you won't have the chance to make such a big impact in a larger mm. organization. It's something that is uh, a, a, an asset and something that will motivate people by itself. I've always yeah. been motivated by that. You know, uh, of course, I want to make money. Of course, I want to uh, have a, a, a better life. But I'm spending eight to ten hours working on something. I have to be passionate about it. I have to wake up every morning looking forward to the day and doing something that I really think is uh, different and unique and uh, motivating. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I, and it often gets referenced and obviously it's a, it's a well-known thing, but it does come back to that sort of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs things. You know, people aren't like, oh, you're not happy in your job, have some more money. That might help for a week. It, it yeah. won't help in the long term. So yeah, much more about that. You know, wider context and feeling you're, you know, part of something bigger to motivate you. And I, I absolutely agree. Perfect, lovely. Well, thank you for you for your insights on on that section. So now we'll move to, um, as I previewed before, uh, diversity. Henry. No, thank you, Tim. Um, diversity and inclusion is certainly a topic that I think everyone speaks about throughout the industry and it's one that I think is so important and we can all do our bit to speak about it as well. And I mean. Across your career, how have you seen attitudes towards diversity inclusion change? Oh, it's uh, <laughs> it's so I can give you a very good example. Um, so my my uh, company, Videon, um, Videon is a twenty five year old company. It was created by a bunch of very, I would say, the the very stereotypical uh, tech leaders twenty five years ago. Uh, and for 23 years, the company was uh, in that model. So, you know, led by male, white, uh, cisgender uh, leaders. The company was created by um, those people and, and they are great uh, people. And, and uh, I'm still working with them today because they're still part of the company. But when they uh, decided to pivot and uh, create that 
uh, edge computing uh, device. They raised money and they, ra they, they hired a new leadership team. And it's really interesting if you look at the, the people they hired. They hired people like me. I'm a, a first-gen immigrant, as you can tell from my accent. I'm not American. I was born in France. Uh, they hired uh, people uh, from New Zealand. Uh, we have a female uh, CEO in the technology, an Asian female CEO in the technology space. Um, we have... Um, yeah, we, we have a much more diverse uh, uh, team, uh, leadership team than uh, when it was what it was when uh, Videon was uh, created. And I think we have now uh, a much wider, um, a much wider approach to problems because we have also people who are coming from more diverse uh, industry. Uh, we have people coming from the uh, transportation industry, not only people who have been working in the uh, media and entertainment for 20 years, but people who have also a different uh, mindset and coming from different ethnic uh, communities as well. And it's really fascinating to uh, exchange with those people because um, my colleague who's coming from the uh, transport industry, he's very process driven. He's very, he's providing ways of tackling problems from a customer experience, um, uh, from the, he, he's leading the customer experience uh, team and he's uh, providing ways, you know, in the transport industry or anything that is related to uh, human beings, you have to be laser focused on making sure the processes are uh, bulletproof. It has to be absolutely solid. In the uh, software industry, we try to do that, but we don't really care because if something crashes, okay, you will uh, reload your stream. It's not a big deal. If a car crashes, if a bus crashes, you might kill people. So, you know, it's a different, uh, the, the, the stake is much higher. And having ways of uh, tackling software problems with uh, um, constraints that you might think are much higher is very interesting. It's, uh, it's challenging. Uh, it's providing you with new, um, a, a pair of fresh eyes on problems that you would just see with your regular uh, software engineer mine the same way you've done in the past you know 10 15 20 years so it's uh it's it's a blessing to have people who are now getting more and more uh open about having uh, people from diverse culture or diverse industries because uh it just makes the team better if you have more diversity in the trains of thoughts you you have a better product, you have better processes, you have a better culture uh, as well. No, we completely agree. And from the, the recruitment perspective, it is often a topic of conversation that people come to us about because now people are really seeing the value of having a diverse team for those exact reasons. Um, yeah. And I mean, what would you say to someone who wanted to enter the industry, but they felt that they didn't fit in? Do it, try it, prove it. I mean, it's you. 
you're giving a shot to try something new and it's always uh, there is a risk but you have to get out of your comfort zone to discover what you want to do i you know again when i moved to the united states i wanted to work for elemental i wanted to work with some black man jesse rosenzweig and the the team i used i used to partner with them when i was in france and uh i I decided to move to Portland with my wife and my three young kids at the time uh, because it's it's an adventure. It's a professional adventure, but it's also uh, it's also a life changing adventure for uh, my wife, for my kids. We absolutely wanted our kids to have um, a multicultural approach uh, of their lives. We wanted them to be uh, facing new cultures, new uh, ways of thinking. Uh, and, you know, between France and the United States, the the American way of life and the French way of life are very, very different. Uh, but it's 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 something that you, there is a lot more benefits than the risks uh, that are taken to get there. And I would say it's the same if you want to do a career change. Um, I, uh, I did most of my career in the uh, media entertainment industry or um, broadcast and, and uh, uh, telcos and things like that. For two years and a half, I uh, when I left Amazon, I did something completely different in the uh, digital identity space. And it was really interesting to see something that was completely new. I learned a lot of things about uh, digital identity, um, personal data, zero-party data, first-party data, uh, things that are a little bit related to what we see today in terms of content personalization and things like that. But it's it's very uh, tangential to uh, what I've been doing uh, for the rest of my career. But it was also eye-opening and uh, it was a way to discover something completely new. And um, it's yeah, it's interesting. You have to be curious. You have to learn and be curious all the time, even if you're in your late 40s. No, completely. Um, we are on the same page there for sure. And it's a topic we could continue to talk about. Um, but I'm going to hand over to Tim so we can learn a bit, a bit about you um, from your outside of work life. <laughs> Yes. So let's, yeah, let's, as Henry says, let's turn from the professional to the personal. Um, and we like to ask this question of everybody that comes on. Um, what would you say would be your perfect weekend? <laughs> uh, perfect weekend. Uh, I would try to um, get out, uh, take a short plane trip to uh, somewhere sunny uh, because I live in Portland and right now it's very rainy. So uh, I don't know, depending if it's a two day weekend or it's a, if it's a three or four day weekend, I would probably just choose the uh, south of California because it's a short trip or I would go to Hawaii. Uh, it's a five hour flight for me to go to Hawaii from Portland and it's my happy place really. So the perfect <laughs> weekend would be a three or four day weekend. I could, uh, take a red eye and fly to Hawaii, uh, spend some time with my wife and my kids doing some snorkeling, uh, getting some great food, Hawaiian food, uh, uh, pokey uh, with fresh uh, fish, uh, because food is also something I really enjoy in life. So uh, that 
great meals would definitely be part of my uh, perfect weekend. Uh, yeah, snorkeling, uh, just even just you know listening to the waves on the beach mm. uh, with some sun. Uh, I think that would be that would be quite delightful. No, I can I can definitely see the appeal. Although I I will say of all the places in the US, somewhere like Portland is probably most analogous with English weather. So I am yeah. taking this like personal insults. I'm yeah, not, not going to take it any further, but I'm just going to say embrace the drizzle, embrace the fog. Embrace the drizzle, exactly. You can listen to the waves in a big coat. You can do yeah. that. Yeah. But no, I appreciate Hawaii sometimes it has its charms. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. Perfect. So uh, handing over to Henry for the quickfire round. Yes, possibly the most exciting section of the recording. No clues here. You're going to have to think on your feet. Um, so the first one, city or country? City. I was born in Paris. I live in Portland. Yeah, cities. Completely. Um, Netflix or Disney Plus? Netflix. Interesting. Plane or train? Plane. I cannot take a train to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, what was the last movie you watched? Uh, the last movie I watched was um, Top Gun Maverick on the plane nice. to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite game of sport to either watch or play? Basketball. I'm a big basketball fan. I used to play basketball when I was younger, even if I'm short. Uh, but it's my favorite sport. Nice. Would you rather ride a bike, ride a horse or drive a car? Um, drive a car, I think. Um, I would, yeah, it's more, I, I, I hesitate. I, I would drive an EV uh, electric vehicle. Uh, so maybe an electric bike or an electric car. I'm hesitating. What's the best uh, yeah. energy efficient if you have a family of five? Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I would, well. just, I would just add, I know it's a quick fire round. No one should ever ride a horse. They're terrifying. Continue the round. <laughs> <laughs> with you there, Tim. Um, and I mean, whilst you're on this flight to Hawaii, are you a window or aisle seat person? I'm a window person. Right. Now to the final question. If you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> it would be a beef Wellington uh, from Gordon Ramsay. Uh, I so had you trying to win us, trying to win us back round after the musician <laughs> stops at the weather. Is that what's happening here? <laughs> Excellent stuff. So handing back over to Tim to wrap up with our last final question. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's uh, always the final question of the show. Um, what would the uh, what would be the one piece of advice you would give to someone entering the industry today? Um, I, I would say, you know, what uh, Steve Jobs was saying at the graduation, um, his famous words were, uh, be foolish, be hungry. Um, I think when you're entering a new industry, again, it's always fascinating to learn new things. Uh, but we, we talked about diversity, uh, have a, a, a breadth of uh, different ideas. I think it's never take things for granted. Always try to uh, do new things, be innovative, uh, think big, think uh, long-term. Uh, you know, again, I was um, 
I was telling you about when I started uh, to work on uh, voice over IP and video over IP and people were telling me there is no point <laughs> in uh, uh, trying to sell services on something as unreliable as uh, internet networks. And when I was with Anavia, um, we're raising money and one of the uh, prospect investors we saw at the time, um, so we, we were creating the first uh, OTT uh, origin server uh, because we thought that HTTP delivery would be the, the future. Uh, and um, th that person was telling us there is no point in trying to uh, do um, high quality content over IP because again, IP is not something that is reliable and uh, people will watch only small resolutions because the bandwidth is too small. At the time, it was only you know, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, the bandwidth will never be a gigabit per second on the uh, internet. It's just physically impossible. Uh, people will never pay uh, for Netflix because Netflix was a DVD rental uh, company at the time. Uh, so it, I, I, I don't, I, I want people to never be short-sighted and Think about the uh, the current uh, limits they have. You you want to think big. You want to uh, be hungry for trying new things because that's what pays off at the end of the day. Maybe the journey is going to be a little bit longer than mm -hmm. initially anticipated, uh, but it's more rewarding if you really believe uh, in what you do. Perfect. Perfect. Well, that brings us to the end. Thank you so much for your time, Lyle. It's been a pleasure having you uh, on the show from all of us here at UCO. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Henry. The pleasure was on my side as well. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more people. For more information about NUCO, we can be found at www.nuco-group.com. That's N-E-U-C-O hyphen group dot com.